Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Fergus Ryan. It's been 25 years since South Africans voted in the first democratic election. Then the African National Congress won almost 63% of the vote. Next Wednesday on May 8, South Africans will vote again. But this time the ANC's image has been tarnished and they will struggle to get anywhere near 60% of the vote. Joining me on the line from Johannesburg is Joseph Cottrell, the FT's South Africa correspondent. And with me in the studio is David Pilling, the FT's Africa editor. Joseph, what are the polls telling us? The polls are telling us that this will be the most competitive election in South Africa's post-apartheid democratic history, but that does not mean the ANC's majority, which it has kept for 25 years, is in any real danger Most pollsters, most analysts believe the ANC will probably get a majority of 55 to 60%. That said, the most recent poll by the Institute of Race Relations, a think tank in South Africa, has put the ANC at 51% support, assuming a turnout of about 72%. That is a bit of a shocker. It's never been that close before in an election. So, in a sense, we are into new territory. David, you recently wrote a rollicking lunch with the FT with Tito Mbaweni, the South African finance minister. Mbaweni asked quite plaintively in that interview, what did people expect the ANC to achieve in 25 years? A quarter of a century is not an insignificant amount of time. Is the ANC simply refusing to take responsibility or is there merit in what Mbaweni said? I think as usual with these questions, the answer is uh, is yes and no. I think certainly the ANC takes responsibility for the last nine years of Jacob Zuma when it became an increasingly corrupt party, bereft of policies, was not producing any growth. Even before that, I think it's been slow to produce the kind of social transformation that South Africans, particularly black South Africans, expected. It's been a party that's created a pretty thin middle class and has really kept everyone else happy on kind of social welfare payments. And it was once said to me that the ANC had actually become the party of the unemployed. And there is some truth to that. However, we should also acknowledge the poisonous legacy of apartheid, which has been extraordinarily difficult to overcome. This wasn't like a normal African country that booted out white colonialists and could then get on with the job. And of course, many black African countries have not done particularly well at that either. But this was a society that was hugely divided along racial lines. And one only needs to look at the school system, a school system that was actually literally divided on racial lines when the apartheid education policy was to keep black students of hewers of wood and drawers of water, a deliberate policy to keep them poor and uneducated. And now that's really been replaced by an education system where access to money is everything. Now, again, the ANC has not done nearly as well at improving the public education system as it should have done. And I would say that that's its huge failing. So there, in in a sense, in a nutshell, you have the enormous poisonous legacy that the ANC is grappling with. 
and some of the very real failings that I think, you know, we can point a finger and say, yes, the ANC, a party in which we had tremendous hope 25 years ago, has not lived up to expectations. Joseph, David touched on one of the greatest problems of the ANC, and that was the reign of Jacob Zuma. It's been argued that if Cyril Ramaphosa exceeds expectations and wins a big majority next week, he'll have the power to turf out Zuma's cronies and tackle corruption properly. But is this likely given his tolerance of some very questionable characters in both his cabinet and within the ANC hierarchy? The first thing to bear in mind is that South Africa is a parliamentary system. So Ramaphosa won't be directly elected. What will happen after the general election is that Parliament will vote for the president. Obviously, the ANC is hoping that will be Ramaphosa. But the dilemma for a South African voter is if you don't like the ANC, which has been taken over by cronies of Jacob Zuma, who all occupy quite senior party positions, even though their patron is long gone from the presidency, you've got to cross that line, vote for the ANC to get what will hopefully be a reformist agenda under Ramaphosa. Speaking to voters in the last kind of days before the elections, lots of people think he has done a pretty good job in the year since he's taken over from Jacob Zuma. He has replaced people in state institutions which declined under his predecessor, but they do have a lot of scepticism about the constraints that will be on him within the ANC beyond the election. David, South Africa is the most unequal society on earth, and that gap has widened under ANC rule. Critics claim that black economic empowerment and ANC policy has benefited a few politically connected blacks while the rest of the black majority just gets poorer. Official unemployment is 27%, but in reality is probably closer to 40%. Is unemployment and inequality a ticking time bomb for South Africa and the ANC? Yes, I think it is. I mean, we've seen all over Africa, youth unemployed rising up. We saw it most recently, in a sense, in Sudan, where Bashir was booted out. I mean, in a sense, the South African population has been very patient, but I don't think that can go on forever. Of course, the problem is that you have these two economies. You have what Martin Wolf once called Belindia. You have a very wealthy white economy. This was inherited at the end of apartheid, surrounded by a very poor black one. And trying to bridge that gap is not particularly easy because you have a black population that wants and expects the living standards of those it sees around them in the white minority. And yet they lack the productivity and skills generally through absolutely no fault of their own, of course, to achieve that. And that is the real sort of crux of the dilemma that any economic, social and political policy has to crack. Does that open the door for Julius Malema and his economic freedom fighters? Yes, indeed, it does to an extent. And we've seen that they have been popular. I mean, they've partly been popular because they were seen as a party that really took on Jacob Zuma when no one else really was. And they've also since then, of course, adopted the land issue, which is a very sort of fiery issue that really appeals to people's emotions. But what I think the EFF really appeals to is the notion that at the end of apartheid and the black majority in South Africa was promised a far better standard of living and a beginning of bridging the gap with a privileged minority. What you've got, as you've said, is you've had the creation of a black middle class, but a relatively thin and narrow one. And although black living standards, I I don't think it's true they've gone backwards, they have improved in real terms. The gap is still very much there. People's expectations, quite rightly, are still very much there. 
Part of those expectations was a better standard of living, but Eskom, the state's electricity monopoly, has been gutted by eye-watering corruption and incompetence, and blackouts are depressingly frequent. The national airline has been mismanaged spectacularly, and even the South African Broadcasting Corporation is struggling. The ANC has become a byword for corruption, yet it is still expected to win so many votes. This should be a gift for any opposition party. So why, Joseph, is the Democratic Alliance, the official opposition, struggling to poll any higher than 20%? As David said, Jacob Zuma isn't in the presidency anymore, so that has removed an easy target for the opposition. The Democratic Alliance, which is probably South Africa's closest equivalent to a Western-style liberal-slash-centre-right political party, have relentlessly <laughs> criticised corruption. You know, all of their campaign posters, all of their TV ads highlight what you've just mentioned, the national airline, the national power monopoly, the state TV broadcaster... But there's this feeling of disconnect and despondency among voters. You know, what is really going to change after a decade? And the DA can talk about corruption, but when it comes to their broader economic plans, such as black economic empowerment, getting an economy going again, they are seen, rightly or wrongly, as a white-dominated party. So getting the message through to the black majority has been very tricky for the DA in particular. David, I find Cyril Ramaphosa quite a difficult person to understand. He seems to make all the right noises when he talks to international investors. But he's also proposed some profoundly worrying anti-business legislation, such as land expropriation without compensation. He refuses to condemn the ZANU-PF in Zimbabwe, and his government still supports the Maduro regime in Venezuela. How do you think international investors view both Ramaphosa's presidency and South Africa? Well, Ramaphosa is a very skilled politician. I think we have to remember that he won the presidency of the ANC with a very, very slim majority. I think 179 votes out of something like 4,700. So when he came into power as president of the ANC and subsequently as president of the country, this was with a very, very slim mandate. And he's had to play his hand very cautiously. He's supported by people like David Mabuza, who is his deputy and has been associated very closely with the kind of policies that prevailed during the Zuma years. So I think Ramaphosa does not have a free hand. So at one point he has to play up to his ANC constituency, then he has to go abroad and raise investment for the country. He's on this huge drive to bring in investment into South Africa. So to some extent, yes, he's playing a double game and speaking sort of out of both sides of his mouth. I think what some people are hoping is if he, or as Joseph says, if he via the ANC gets a bigger majority this time and feels more secure in his job with a mandate going forward, then he'll be able to put his own policies into place and his own personnel into place more forthrightly than he has been able to do in this year. And then maybe you'll see a kind of greater consistency coming out. But I think one of his skills is that he's able to kind of reconcile the contradictory. And that is the game that he has had to play in this year. And in a sense, he's played it very skillfully, I think. In 1994, Joseph, South Africans of different races viewed each other with great mistrust. You've lived in Joburg now for almost three years. Socially, are South Africans growing closer, forging a South African identity, or is their identity still based first on race? I mean, election day will be a big window on that because there'll be polling stations, you know, among rather well-off walled suburbs where the white and black middle class live, and then there'll be polling stations in shacks in townships which have, you know, really terrible infrastructure. 
Now, what has brought South Africans together in the last three years uh, I've been here has been complete annoyance with corruptions. Everyone suffers the kind of rolling blackouts that happen when ESCOM, the state power monopoly, runs out of money and generation. And so in that sense, that's been a, a shared experience of the downsides of 25 years of ANC rule. Yet I think the elections will also show the extremes, the radical parties will do well. Julius Menemer's party will probably double its vote. The Freedom Front Plus, which is an Africana party, will probably take votes from the Democratic Alliance, you know, white voters who believe the DA is too happy-clappy about what's happening in South Africa, essentially. And then you also have evangelical-backed parties as well. I mean, these are all on the margins. Some of these parties won't get more than 1%, but, you know, beneath what's likely to be an ANT majority, you are seeing this shift to more extreme interpretations of what needs to happen to South Africa's economy in the years ahead. And that's something I think we all have to watch. It looks like a very exciting election. But that's all for this week. Many thanks to Joseph Cottrell in Johannesburg and David Pilling in the studio. Till next week, goodbye. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.